Welcome to the 440th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Gigi Georges, author of the new book, Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Gigi Georges, author of the new nonfiction book, Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Gigi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be with you today. Sure. If someone hasn't heard about your new book, Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America yet, how would you describe the book and the story that you are trying to tell with your reporting? So Down East is a book that, a narrative nonfiction book, it follows the lives of five young women who live in one of the most isolated, geographically isolated parts of Maine. And a lot of people don't know this, but Maine is the most rural state in the country. So that's saying a lot. So I follow these girls for the past four years, and we see them through many challenges, but also through their lenses, we see the way in which there is hope and optimism for small towns. And if anything, I would say that's the broader, larger theme of the book. And so what originally led you to reporting? And as you said, I think it was four years to reporting and writing down east. Great question, Jeff. I'm a city kid, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn. This has been quite a journey for me. I was I was raised in this big Greek immigrant family and always spent my pursuits and my life in urban places, New York, Washington, D.C., back to New York again after a stint at the White House and found myself after I uh, got married. My husband and I made a decision to leave New York, head to northern New England and began to raise our daughter um, there. And what I started to observe when I looked around was something that was quite different than the dominant downbeat narrative that we hear so much of when we have this broader conversation about rural America. I recognize there, there are challenges, of course, but I saw something that really surprised me when I went just up the road from our house in Maine, about an hour north to down east Washington County, and started to spend some time there with the community and later with these five really remarkable young women. So you've mentioned that there's hope and optimism. Where where do you see that hope? So here's what I saw. I spent these four years following these young women around. They gave me this gift of opening their lives and trusting me, really, as did the broader community. And what I saw was a set of towns that is struggling with a lot of the things we talk about when we talk about rural America does have issues of economic hardship, of joblessness, of factories having closed and folks having to reorient themselves in some ways, does have unfortunately a significant problem and challenge of opioid addiction. But at the same time, what I saw was this, an incredible strength of community, tremendous social capital, people leaning on each other and finding a way through 
a tremendous resilience amongst these girls, each of whom faces different challenges. And I'm happy to get more deeply into that as it relates to each young woman. But they all face challenges. They all face tensions. And yet, through the strength of community, through their resilience, and through, I would say, the fierceness around these women that's been passed on from grandmother to mother to daughter, that they are not representative of the one in a million story that we hear so much about, that one in a million that has to escape rural America in order to succeed. It's a familiar theme in a lot of accounts about rural places. Rather, these young women are looking to stay and build. They're committed to their community. They feel a tremendous bond to the natural beauty around them, to the land and sea, and some of them work in it and thrive from it. And it's really fascinating to see them serve as bridges. They want to stay, they want to build, they want to make their towns even better. At the same time, they're thriving. And I thought that was something that was important to tell from their perspective. Can you talk about these young women and their experiences and challenges? Absolutely. So we've got five young women. I'll talk about a couple of them and you can stop me at any point. I'm so passionate about them and feel so connected to them that that I I can go on and on about them. One young woman, um, Willow, is someone who's faced a lot of challenges in her life. She grew up with an abusive drug addicted father. He got hooked on opioids actually as the result of an injury that he sustained working in the lobster plants. And she just, she moves around. She moves seven times before she's eight. She goes from one grandmother to the other, sometimes lives at home, but it's really a tough, it's a tough home life. And she has every reason one would think to want to escape and actually has an opportunity at one point to move to Michigan with with a young man that she has known for many years, but has actually never met. They've had this online line friendship and relationship. <laughs> and and he says, come to Michigan and live with me. And she's actually engaged to someone else at the same time, who's unfortunately repeating the cycle of her father's sort of behavior in many ways. And she thinks about it. And then she says, you know what? I, my heart is down East. Can't leave this place. I am so connected to the nature of it. She works at the local wharf. I'm connected to the land and sea. I'm connected to the community. She has tremendous mentors at the school and one art teacher in particular that I get into, Britt Francis, who goes by Franny, who really shows her that she has value, that she's talented in her photography. And she goes on and she pushes through and she is not a victim. And that pushing through, that resilience is very much connected to her sense of place. She's just one example, and I'm happy to continue on. Yeah, sure. Why don't you give us another one? That, that sounds uh, wonderful. So one other is is Vivian, her best friend. And Vivian comes, unlike from Willow, from an established Down East family. Her father's a town selectman, and he's high up in, there's a lot of blueberry farming in, in that part of Maine. In fact, one of the towns is known as the the, the blueberry capital of the world. That's Cherryfield. Um, her father's high up in one of the major blueberry manufacturing operations there. And she she goes through her own struggles 
though. She rebels against the town culture. She rebels against her church, which is a church, uh, Baptist church of, of quite conservative faith and practices. And she becomes, in some ways, what one might have expected Willow to be, her best friend. Willow is the stable one, the mom, the nurturer. And Vivian goes out and explores recklessly as a teenager, sneaks off in the middle of the night and does some dangerous things. And and she and yet even though she goes through this rebellion and has significant questions about her town, she still comes around to feel that the social capital, the sense of community, certainly the nature around her is sustaining. And although she doesn't settle down east, she she ultimately ends up pursuing nursing and moving to an even more remote part of Maine, way up um, near Fort Kent, up at the border. And that's where she's finishing her nurture, her nursing degree. And she's made a commitment to that community up there, which in some ways is not that dissimilar from down east. For those who are not that familiar with the geography of Maine, can you explain exactly where down east, where that is? Yes, it's pretty pretty far up there, and and this part of Down East is in Washington County, which is one of the poorest counties in the state. It, it, if those who are familiar most with, as many people are, with Acadia, Bar Harbor, and the surroundings, it is about an hour north of Acadia, and it's coastal. It's known as Western Washington County as well as down East Washington County, but it's all coastal and there's a lot of lobster fishing there. And there's a proud heritage of that as well. But really, in some ways, a stone's throw away from what I describe as the busloads and billionaires of Acadia, which is always something that has been remarkable to me as I spent those many hours driving up coastal Route 1 and back to our home in Southwest Harbor, that it is so geographically isolated, yet in so, so many ways, just as stunning as that that Acadia shoreline. As you mentioned, you've followed these young women for four years. This sounds like a massive amount of reporting. How did you... Can you tell us a little bit about that experience, just in terms of these young women are from, as you said, a very isolated and rural community? What did you have to do as a writer to convince them to open up to you and allow you access to their lives? It's interesting because, as you would imagine, I I did wonder initially whether I, uh, they would open themselves in the way they did, and I hoped, but I didn't expect Right when I went into this, I had the good fortune of having some introductions through a friend, a good friend named Reverend Scott Planting, who runs a, a wonderful nonprofit that's actually uh, been based in Bar Harbor for many years. Scott Planting sat down with me one day, actually with me and my husband Jeff, and we're good friends. And he's so thoughtful about these issues, and he spent so many years working through the Maine Seacoast Mission and through other efforts with the kids and the communities in in Washington County and the Maine Islands. And I I explained to him that I was just seeing something different. And I wanted to explore it. I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to understand it. I particularly wanted to to delve into, because I have an education policy background, to delve into sort of life for teenagers at the high school. Um, And he said to me, 
just I'll introduce you to the school superintendent. I'll introduce you to the school principal and a couple of others. Go talk to them, sit down with them. And I think you'll be surprised at what I think. I know that his good word opens some doors for me, but I will say this to a person, everyone in the community was so welcoming. And I'm so grateful because I think it does take a lot for any community to open themselves up to someone from outside and allow them to get a really close look. The girls I came upon by the principal was really great about offering me the opportunity to sit down in some informal focus groups with some of the juniors and seniors in the high school, young men and women at first. And when I did that, I uh, was struck. Uh, I was struck by all of them. They were so thoughtful, but I was particularly struck by the way in which the young women were excelling and in many ways surpassing the boys around them in academics, in athletics, in pursuit of the arts, in general ambition and leadership. And I asked some of the girls if I could talk to them again one-on-one and narrowed the field. And from there, hit upon these five young women who were both willing and I thought really exemplary of the, the sort of broader landscape of young women in, in Down East today. So I'm curious for someone listening, as you mentioned, as you've explained your process just then, and also as you've explained, this is narrative nonfiction. I'm just curious for those who are listening and, and, and potentially interested in your book, did you end up using pseudonyms or is this their actual names? I did end up using pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. I The way that came about was that Willow in the book, the young woman I spoke about a little bit earlier in this in this talk, she had been through a lot. She, I think, has ongoing safety concerns that are completely understandable. And she expressed a strong willingness and interest in talking to me and spending the time with me. But we both agreed that it would be best for her that she re- retained some anonymity. Out of that, I then offered that as well, in fairness, to the other young women. Some of them immediately said, I really don't, that's fine with me if you use my real name, but I really felt it was important. We talked it through a lot. I felt it was important to give them at least some control over how and when their names might be released or if they would ever be released at all. And and I think it was a really good decision for them. I think there are, of course, it's small, they're small towns. Folks in those towns are pretty much going to know who these young women are. I think they're proud of their stories. I hope they are. And I hope they're proud of the way that I reflected them. But I do think that it was important to give them, as I said, a little bit of control over over the way in which they might um, move forward with, with this being in print. Sure. You've talked about the hope and optimism in these young women's lives. Were there times when you were reporting that you also felt disheartened or depressed about what they faced? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I don't think I would say depressed, but I would say that I understood and saw the challenges that they faced. I understood the complexity of it. I There was one uh, moment or series of moments, for example, when Josie, one of the other young women, confronts uh, a crisis of faith. She too comes from a, uh, a background of a tight-knit family that is very involved in the local Baptist church. She grows up really strongly feeling that faith. And then she goes on to Yale. She's valedictorian, the second ever in her class to go in, in, in Narraguegas High School. That's the high school name, Narraguegas, ever to go to Yale. The first being her um, older sister, by the way. <laughs> and she, she confronts at Yale some real questions about what the different environment as one would expect coming from a small town, feeling a different culture. And she embraces it in some ways, in many ways. And in other ways, she retains what she believes is strong in terms of what she's she's come to Yale with, what she brings from down East. And at one point, though, she confronts this crisis of faith that gets sparked by the death of her uncle at a relatively young age and questions God and questions the the religion and questions the church that she has grown up in that's been so much a part of her life. And I thought, I thought that, that crisis, that moment, I imagine is faced by many young people at any point that they encounter something. And I thought she had so much self-awareness about it going through it. That's one example. There are others certainly looking at the poverty, certainly looking at and encountering young people who don't have running water, who struggle to find enough food on the plate. Their families are struggling. The community, though, is very embracing and very strong in terms of doing what they can for those young people and for those families. So while it is disheartening to see that level of poverty, to, to understand it in its depths, I also felt, I have to say, I felt really good about what I saw in terms of the way in which the community rallied around. And I thought this is a real live example of what we talk about in, in, in heightened words of social. It is real. It sure. is thriving. There's a lot of discussion on the national political level about the loss of middle class jobs. I'm curious in your reporting about these young women, what do you think is the, the biggest barrier down the road for them in terms of a job enabling them to stay in this area that they're obviously very connected to? 
So I think that there are some barriers. And then I think there are some reasons for optimism that I'll come around to. One of the barriers is that there there aren't You've had this cycle that you see in a lot of places in rural America, where a lot of the old standard jobs, the manufacturing jobs, the mill jobs, the the jobs where there is production, that those have disappeared. And that's true down east as well. And what you have is a lot of service jobs, and you have some opportunities, for example, around nursing assistance, around some levels of speech pathology, where... There are job opportunities and there is need, but there are some barriers. One is that the pay tends to be quite low. Earning a living wage is not as easy as one might imagine. The other is that because it's pretty geographically isolated, very, the transportation, for example, to a high, it's quite a long round trip. And so you've got to have access to reliable transportation. Uh a third barrier, of course, is the technology badge barrier that we often refer to as the digital divide, that this is improving in places like Down East, thanks, frankly, to some real local community efforts. But that broadband, right, is not, it's not prevalent. It's not strong. And so even, for example, in COVID, as you would imagine, as we've seen in other places that are remote, having virtual learning became somewhat of a barrier for these for these for these young people in the high school and for the teachers. So there are those barriers. I will say this though: what was really interesting and and really gratifying to see were the way in which again the community interacting with the state of Maine and with other private and with private entities has worked hard to expand the opportunities for young people. I talk in the book, write in the book about one effort to bring a career and technical education uh, center to down east Washington County, one of the few areas in Maine that didn't have good access to one. And the school principal and the superintendent took the lead on really fighting hard to bring this to down east Washington County because the families were just desperately clamoring for it. Because those jobs, the jobs that would come out of it, the jobs that would include things like mechanic jobs or jobs related to lobster boat building, where you have such a thriving lobster industry and there is such a need for that, jobs that that go around other services, healthcare and and daycare and the like, and early childhood education for both young men and women, there was just a real clamoring for it and they fought hard for it and they got it. And they're now in their moving into their second year of of having kids going into those programs, into that center that's right in the heart of Down East Washington County. And there's optimism that those jobs, that those opportunities will bring more, more career paths for the young people there. I'm curious, and you've talked about what surprised you in terms of the hope and optimism. Were there other things that surprised you in the reporting that you were doing? I think that I was most surprised by the strength of the voices of these young women, by the tremendous uh, self-awareness that they have as they've moved through the various challenges that they've faced. I expected them to be strong and resilient. That is, after all, one of the trademarks of Mainers. But I really was surprised at the depth that at which they were able to, at a very young age, work through what they were facing, what their community is facing, and really come out the other side even stronger 
in many ways. And I attribute that to, in many ways, that that connection, that fight that I saw in these towns that is too often, I think, overlooked when we settle in on the challenges and the sort of hardships that small communities like this face, particularly in rural America. Sure. What nonfiction books or novels have you read recently that you and I have to say, I've been reading a lot of Maine literature recently, and I, I would say there are two that are at the top of my list. One recently published novel by uh, a first-time novelist named Gregory Brown called The Lowering Days is absolutely beautiful, and I commend it to anyone. It is, a, is an extraordinary novel about moral crises, as well as an evocative novel of place that takes place in the Penobscot River. Uh, Valley. And I would also recommend another main author, Susan Conley, whose recent book, who's written many books, but her most recent book, Landslide, is just a terrific account of a family in crisis on a remote Maine island and touches on some of the similar themes that I touch on, but in a very different way. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your book, Down East? You can feel free to go to the HarperCollins website or honestly to any major bookseller website or anywhere where books are sold. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Gigi Georges, author of the new book, Down East, Five Main Girls in the Unseen Story of Rural America. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Gigi, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It was a pleasure. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America by Gigi Georges, narrated by Lisa Flanagan, available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. It's 5 a.m., and I'm driving up the main coast toward the Harrington River. I'm on the periphery of the state and the edge of the entire nation, but in the heart of Down East Washington County. A soft October sun has just begun to arch across the sky. The land is unforgiving, sheathed in granite, dotted by austere homes and punctuated by low-lying brush. Around me, lobster fishermen are settling in for another day of work. Some have traveled to open waters through moonlight, eager to get a jump on their hauls. Others in smaller boats are just setting out. They'll hover closer to shore or hug an inlet tucked in the jaws of the jagged coast. They'll fish like generations have before them. The waxing light will guide them to their buoys, and the sea will bring them what they need. There are moments in life that start out feeling ordinary, until somewhere along the way they turn out to be more extraordinary than you could ever have imagined. There are places that echo long after you've left them. And there are people, strangers at first who end up bringing you the faith and perspective you never quite realized you were missing. So it was for me down east. It's not just the region's sweeping geography, the way it feels so close to nature that you can hear its heartbeat through the trees and see its soul through the fog that dances on its skeletal coast. It's not just the feeling of being utterly alone as you wind across the Black's Woods Road, complete with its whispered legacy of a haunting ghost named Catherine. It's the reverence with which generations of families have wrapped themselves around this place, thrived in terrain that leaves no room for idleness or self-pity, and woven a code of honor around the community they've built. They're not just from Down East, but of it. And despite the multiple challenges they face, there's nowhere else they'd rather be. 
An hour into my early morning coastal drive, I turn off U.S. Highway 1. I make my way through the narrowing, unpaved stretch that will lead me to Harrington's town landing dock. When I get there, Olivia Marshall, one of the few female lobster boat captains in Down East Maine, is standing beside her 36-foot boat, the Gold Digger. Olivia is in her early 40s and striking, with long blonde hair, silver blue eyes, and perfect teeth. She's been fishing since she could walk. She married a lobsterman straight out of high school, and together they raised two boys who fish. She's captained her own boat for more than 15 years, most days with her sister Emily by her side. We head out on the water to the first of Olivia's 800 traps. Both the bay and the boat are quiet, despite the presence of a dozen other working vessels. Fishermen here don't care for idle talk. Olivia will haul about a third of her traps today before she heads to shore mid-afternoon. Instinctively, she flicks her left-hand fingers around the gold digger's steering wheel. Her eyes are trained on her traps, and the light creeps higher to reveal a perfect sky. She is at home. This is a place of seafarers and sacrifices, where people are as tied to the whims of the water around them as human beings can be. Their sea, the Downey Sea, is a blue-hued canvas, spotted with brightly painted buoys to which the captains stake their claims. The buoy colors and patterns are unique to every owner. Admire them from afar, but don't dare to touch them if you value your limbs, as these buoys represent the fishermen's livelihood, honor, and for many their birthright and passage to a cherished way of life. Here, seasons define that life. Each summer, the lobstermen glide across a steady sea and their workdays stretch through endless sunlit hours. By the time October rolls around, they give the chilling air a knowing nod and quicken their pace. As fall succumbs to winter's yawn, they brace their boats against the coming freeze. Months later, when they feel the ice-blown craters in the roads beneath their pickup trucks, the lobstermen know that finally, spring has come. They hum a psalm to it, even as it swallows their muck boots in mud and pierces their ears with angry winds. They take the hand they're dealt without fanfare or wonder. It simply is, just as it has always been. To me, a girl from Brooklyn, the wonder is everywhere, and what I learn here is both unexpected and familiar. In every obvious way, Olivia and Emily's Down East is as distant as could be from my Brooklyn. Their towns post population sizes that would barely fill a high-rise. Their modest homes sit on sprawling acres of largely untouched land. On a typical weekday afternoon, the corner store, post office, and library are the only open buildings on Main Street. I pass them in the blink of an eye. But in ways that matter, I feel deeply connected to Olivia and Emily, and to this place, a place I've come to love these past four years. Even though, at a superficial level, we don't appear to have much in common, I realize my foundational story is not so different from theirs. Although my childhood memories were carved in concrete 500 miles away, the priorities my parents emphasized mirrored many of those that shape Down East life. At 14, my mom, a wide-eyed old-world girl from a tiny Peloponnesian village, had boarded a ship from Piraeus, Greece, with her sister and crossed the Atlantic to find a new home. She and her four siblings followed their widowed father's quest for a better life. A few years later, she fell in love with my dad, a first-generation Greek-American who made it through the Depression with generous daily doses of stickball and family love.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.